Our passage this evening is found in Luke chapter 22. We'll be looking at verses 24 through 30. It can be found on page 882 in the uh, pews, the Bibles in the pews. Luke chapter 24, verses 22, verses 24 through 30. A dispute also arose among them as to which of them was to be regarded as the greatest. And he said to them, The kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those in authority over them are called benefactors. But not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest, and the leader as one who serves. For who is the greater, one who reclines at table or one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at table? But I am among you as the one who serves. You are those who have stayed with me in my trials, and I assign to you, as my Father assigned to me, a kingdom, that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom, and sit on thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Would you join me in praying and asking the Lord to, to bless our time in his word. Father God, we thank you for this evening, at a time where we can remember what your Son has done in his death, where we can celebrate the supper that he initiated on our behalf. And God, we pray now as we open your word that you would lead us. You would help us to see what true greatness looks like. And ultimately that we would see it in the person of your son. And we pray this in his name. Amen. I am the greatest. It's hard to believe that those words were spoken 56 years ago. While likely spoken also by countless others before and after, it was Muhammad Ali who made them infamous. These words were both his confession and his challenge. He believed without a shadow of a doubt that he was the greatest. If any thought differently, they were more than welcome to prove him wrong. Muhammad Ali was one of the strongest. He was one of the smartest. He was one of the quickest. This qualified him to be the greatest. Unbeknownst to him, though, The debate over who is the greatest was settled nearly 2,000 years before Ali started boxing. And contrary to Ali, it was not secured by feats of strength or feats of intellect. It did not come through the acquisition of power or of honor. This true greatness came through humble service. Jesus Christ is the greatest because he came as a humble servant. His service secured our salvation, and he therefore is also our model. So as we look at his word tonight, we're just going to hopefully walk away with the call to be like Christ, whose greatness came through humble service. To be like Christ, whose greatness came through humble service. And we're just going to look at three quick points. We're going to first look at the popular way to greatness, which is exalting strength. Then we're going to look at the proven way, which is embracing service. And then we're going to look very briefly at the promise that Jesus makes, which is exalted servants. First, we begin with the popular way to greatness, which is exalting strength. The assumption for us has always been that the path to greatness comes through power and through status. This is why the world operates the way it does. Individuals and groups are always jockeying and posturing 
for status, for honor, for power. Position means power, which translates then to greatness. And this was the air that the disciples breathed in their culture. And we know from other gospel accounts that this dispute that we see rising up here in verse 24 is not the first time that this argument arose amongst the disciples. Both Matthew 20 and Mark 10, we see that James and John were the ones who ignited the controversy by requesting to sit at Jesus' left and right hand in his kingdom. But Luke's account has a different feel to it. The setting makes it a little bit different, makes it unique. This quarrel arises as Christ himself stands a mere hours away from the cross. He has just provided a picture of his broken body and spilt blood in the bread and the wine just a few verses earlier. And he has just brought the heartbreaking news that one of them is not only going to abandon the group, but he's going to betray Christ completely. And then if we bring John's account, which Tim just read for us, it is also highly likely that this dispute arises after Jesus has washed the disciples' feet. He has just given them a beautiful picture of a servant, has lowered himself to the most meaningless, trivial, and dirtiest task, and yet this dispute over who's the greatest still arises. It is in this context that the disciples start bickering amongst each other that I am the greatest. No, I am the greatest. It's almost as if the reality that Christ has identified there's the worst among them who's going to betray them, that now that that's been settled, they need to figure out, well, who's the greatest then? And there's an eagerness to argue. The the verb, the, the language that's used here is there's a love for controversy amongst the disciples. This is a picture probably many of us are, are familiar with. The family has just enjoyed a nice meal together. It's been fun. It's been fellowship. It's been good food. And now the discussion moves away from the food and the fun and gets into politics or whatever topic it is that ignites your family's heated discussions. But Jesus, unlike you, unlike me in these situations, he gently addresses the quarreling. He exposes the heart behind it. This is what he says to the disciples almost in a gentle tone. He says, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those in authority over them are called benefactors. The disciples are operating, they're confessing to operating as their world operates. Their thinking is earthly. It's physical. Their world says that greatness comes in the power to exercise authority. It comes by strength. And this isn't shocking. World powers and leaders are great only as long as they can exercise their authority over those who are under them. And the payoff for exercising this authority is honor and it's praise. That term benefactor, it's a common title given to those who dutifully serve the state by wielding their authority. It was a badge of honor signaling their greatness. And this is how the disciples, on the heels of of the mantle being passed to them, are thinking they would lead Christ's flock from this point forward. They thought this was going to be their path to greatness, wielding and exerting power and authority. They just needed to figure out who was going to be the one fresh out of the gates to lead them. And surely you and I know better than the disciples 
we know that thanks to history how this story of jostling for power and position ultimately ends. We can just look at our current political environment. It's like a constant game of, of hungry, hungry hippos, of people trying to consume as much power and as much strength and authority as they can get their hands on. And we have likely also witnessed countless others, whether friends or strangers, fall victim to this kind of pursuit of greatness. And yet we stumble too. We can be consumed by self like the disciples. We can seek honor for ourselves. We can exalt our own physical strength, our intellectual strength. We can jockey for position. We can crave greatness. So let us hear the words of Jesus to the disciples that he says, but not so with you. This path is a dead end. It is the path this fallen world has been on since the day that sin entered into it. It loves and serves self at the expense of all others. It is not the path that was walked by Christ, and it is a far cry from what he calls us to. Which then leads us to our second point. If that's the popular way, exalting strength, there must be a proven way. And Jesus says the proven way is by embracing service. He says that the path to greatness requires a life of humble service to others. This path is one that is far less traveled. It's unpopular. It's contradictory to both human nature and common sense. And Jesus gives the disciples just a subtle command when he says, Become as the youngest in verse 26. Become as the one who serves. The youngest seems like an odd choice. Why doesn't Jesus say just become the least as he said elsewhere throughout the Gospels? In that day, the youngest was certainly the least. If you remember how the disciples responded to when Jesus brought the children to him, they shooed them away because they were the least. They were the youngest. There is no personal or social gain associated with having them around you. But the youngest were also not only the youngest, they were the inferior ones. Inferior in rank, inferior in status. They got the worst of tasks, the ones that nobody wanted. And essentially this command that Jesus is giving to become like a, a youngest, to become like a servant, is both a mindset and a lifestyle. It is to view ourselves as less important. It is to put the needs of others before our own, whether they be family or friends, co-workers, fellow brothers and sisters, even complete strangers, to put their needs above our own. And then it moves out into physical service. It practices humility. And why? Why is this the proven way? Why is embracing service the way to greatness? It is because Jesus confesses at the end of verse 27 that that is his way. He says, but I am among you as one who serves. It echoes what he says in Mark 10. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to, be, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. From the beginning, Jesus came to serve. The disciples would have witnessed this each and every day, moment by moment. And even in this evening, that very evening, they would have watched the host of the meal wash their gross and disgusting feet. Hosts never lowered themselves in this way. They planned the event, they made sure the details were arranged, 
and then they simply enjoyed being served by those they hired to do that. And Jesus is not simply the host of the meal. Neither is he merely a teacher who is humbly serving his students. As we heard just this past Sunday from Philippians 2, Jesus is God incarnate, washing the feet of his disciples. He, the one who emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. This is the proven path to greatness. This is the path that Jesus has blazed for his people. It embraced humble and sacrificial service. John Piper defines service as doing things out of love that are costly to ourselves, but aim to bring temporal and eternal benefit to others. The cost for Christ, as Philippians said, was his glory in heaven and his life on earth. He laid both aside to bring us the benefit of becoming sons of God. Easter Sunday boldly proclaims that this path certainly did lead to greatness. He would be exalted to the highest place, given that name that is above every name. But first, it walked through faithful and humble service. And this is what we celebrate and remember tonight on Maundy Thursday and in the Lord's Supper, the table that is before us. Out of obedience to the Father and humble service to his people, Christ came to suffer and to die. And in humility, he went to the cross to love and serve his own. And as the back of the bulletin reminds us, tonight centers upon that command that Tim read from John 13. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. So we come tonight to worship Christ, who faithfully and humbly served us. We come to bring him glory as we sing, as we observe his supper. But we also come to be reminded of our call to humble service. To love one another. It's the command of our Savior that he gave us right before he loved us to the very end. So may we become like Christ and embrace humble service. And then finally we see the promise that Jesus gives, which the promise is exalted servants. Jesus Christ tells the disciples that he will bestow honor upon those who humbly serve others in his name. It is unlikely that humble service is going to warrant much honor here and now. Service may be a nice thing, but our culture doesn't see it as leading to greatness. Jesus understands this. And clearly the example he set did not lead to earthly success and fame. We're celebrating his death. We're recognizing it tonight and then tomorrow. However, he promises that honor and greatness for those who faithfully follow his lead. This is what he tells the disciples in verse 29. And I assign to you, as my father assigned to me, a kingdom that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Jesus ultimately promises the very thing that the disciples were quarreling over. Honor, greatness, a role. The only difference, it isn't found by posturing, it isn't found by arguing, it isn't found by controversy, it's appointed by Jesus Christ himself. And for those who faithfully and humbly serve in the name of Christ and the manner in which he showed us, there will be greatness bestowed upon them. 
They will be exalted in the kingdom of God as faithful servants. They will be given a role. They will be given a place at his table. The same table that he alluded to in verse 18 when he initiated his supper. The same table that's prepared for us tonight that looks forward to that table. And not only that, Jesus reveals in Luke 12 that he is going to be the one joyfully serving us at that table. Our Savior continues to serve us even to this day. He says of that day, truly I say to you, the master will dress himself for service and have them recline at table and he will come and serve them. What an honor that our Lord and our master has served us, is serving us, and will continue to serve us, his people. So humble service will ultimately and certainly result in the exaltation of his servants, the servants of Christ Jesus. Only it won't be in the presence of mortal man, but at the greatest banquet feast of the Lamb in the eternal kingdom of God. And this is the payoff for lives of humble service in the name of and for the glory of Christ. It is greatness that we can't even begin to fathom. You see, true greatness is found in, isn't found in the pursuit of greatness. Rather, it is found in giving it up for the sake of humble service. That's the example that Christ has given us, and it's the call that he lays before us. So be like Christ, whose greatness came through humble service. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you for your son. God, we thank you that he came to serve and that in serving he went to the cross where he died and where he was that sacrificial lamb so that our sin might be covered. God, would you work in us a desire to serve humbly? Would we desire to bring much glory to the name of Christ in the way that we serve, in the way that we love each other and those around us? And we pray that we would do it to the glory of your name, looking forward to that day when we will feast with you in your banquet. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.